0: Shabbat shalom from Under the Dome. My name is Noel. I am here with Robin Michael. This is the diaspora of Yasharel. We're like on episode 24 or 25. I've lost count. I didn't check before this. But, of course, this is our uh, Yaakov study, the Hebrew epistle of James. And if you are here in Discord with us tonight, you're getting the really advanced preview, I guess, because I'm a couple weeks behind on getting the recordings up on YouTube. So I haven't even got week one up. Yet today, so I'm glad you guys could be here. We're gonna be going over chapters three and four, and I'm gonna be doing this a little bit different tonight than usual. I'm going to be reading uh, three and four back to back, and hopefully that's not going to mess up Robert Michael's commentary. Any uh, they can, we'll still go about it the same way, you know, going through the three of us, and of course I'll go last tonight. Would somebody like to open us in prayer?
1: Yes, I will father God, we thank you for this time may you bless this time that we have here gathering together and father may you speak through your words to us and may we bless your great and mighty name may you continue to work in our lives to bring forth your truth and to live it out in obedience and in love with all humility Father, we pray for Noel as how he's feeling tonight. May you bring healing and shalom. And Father, may we have a a wonderful study and conversation. And may your name be blessed. Amen.
0: All right. Thank you, Rob. I dropped chapters three and four of Yaakov into the Discord chat, so you guys can pull them up in there, and I'm going to start reading. Beloved brothers, not every one of you must be an expert teacher, and know that the punishment will be greater. For we sin in many words, but he who does not sin in any word, he is a set-apart man, and able to bridle the whole body. And look, we lead the horses with a bridle, to lead them according to our will. And also the ships, although they are great, and go by the force of the wind. Yet they are guided by a small rudder, which is in the hand of the messenger. So the tongue is a small member, and makes great words. Look, a small fire kindles a great forest. So also the tongue is like an eternal fire, full of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, and it causes the whole body to sin, and kindles us in our walk, if it is kindled from Gehinnom. For the nature of all the animals, and the birds, and the serpents, which are on the dry land or in the sea, is like the nature of man. But the tongue no man is able to bridle, for it is evil and is full of the poison of death. With the tongue we praise Yahuwah the Father, and with it we curse the man who is in the image of Elohim. From one mouth there comes out praises and curses, but it must not be so, beloved brothers. For is there indeed a fountain which has in its salt and sweet waters? Or is the tree of dates able to give oil? Or a vine figs? So the fountain is not able to give salt and sweet waters. Whosoever is wise in understanding among you, let him show me his good walk with wisdom. But if there be jealousy and hatred in your hearts, do not boast and do not lie against the truth. For this is not wisdom that comes from above but from the earth, from the man, and from the satans. For in whosoever there is jealousy and hatred, in him there are many evil things. But the wisdom from above is firstly pure, and afterwards shalom, and with it rest, and is able to reconcile and quick to listen, full of mercy, and lastly, it is to goodness and not to partiality or flattery. But the righteous fruits are sown in shalom by those who establish the shalom. Moving on to Yaakov chapter 4. And why is there war among you? Is it not because of your desires which fight in your members? So you desire, but do not receive. And he who takes revenge and stays angry does not profit by it. And why all this? Because you do not pray. And when you do a prayer... It is not answered because you pray wrongly. O adulterer and adulteress, do you not know that whosoever loves this world, he hates Yahuwah? So whosoever wants to be a lover of this world, he himself will be a hater of Yahuwah. Or do you think that the Torah says in vain that the spirit which dwells inside you, it covets against the commandments of Yahuwah? Yet he gives much steadfast love. For the Torah says that Yahuwah exalts the humble ones and humiliates the proud ones. Therefore you must humble therefore you must be humble before Yahuwah, and fight against the Satans. They will flee from you. If you bring yourselves near to Yahuwah, he himself will draw near to you. So cleanse your hands, O sinners, and make your hearts pure, and bear your burdens and weep. And let your laughter be turned to weeping and your joy to grief. Humble yourselves before Yahuwah. He himself will hear you. Beloved brothers, do not go about slandering among yourselves. For whosoever goes about as a slanderer against his brother is a slanderer against the law. And if you do so, you do not establish the law. And there is only one who gives the law, who is able to punish and to forgive. But who are you to judge the others? And now, do you say, today or tomorrow we want to go to that place or to this city, and we want to stay there one year and do business and make profit, while you do not even know what is able to happen tomorrow? Tomorrow. For what are your lives? what are your lives? I'm hearing my echo on somebody's. My echo on somebody's. Can you guys turn off the microphone? Okay.
2: should be good now. I think he muted himself.
0: Okay, thank you. Let me start again. Uh, where was I? And now do you say today or tomorrow we want to go to that place or to this city and we want to stay there one year and do business and make profit while you do not even know what is able to happen tomorrow. For what are your lives? Is it not a wind for a little time and afterwards it goes away? But you should say if Yahuwah wants and we are alive, we want to do this. But now you boast in your pride, and this leads to evil. For whosoever knows to do good and does not do it, for him it will be reckoned as sin. And that concludes Yaakov chapters 3 and 4. I'm handing it over to Rob.
1: Okay. Thank you, Noel. Shabbat shalom. I... I appreciate it. I will start with uh, chapter three. Uh, now that we read three and four, uh, my my thought here is, I got at least two rounds on chapter three. Um, so just FYI, I'm going to cover first uh, the discussion here that James starts with. He speaks. He speaks a lot. In regards to the tongue and our words, and, and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to touch on that. So uh, give me a minute here. When I, I need to make sure I got my slides right, which they are in the wrong order, but I will share them. Okay. So first on the tongue, he's, he's speaking, he, he mentions expert teachers. So whether you whether this is in reference to uh, the those who are teaching preaching or uh, those that are well learned in, in the Torah, etc., but it says that they're held at a higher punishment for their knowledge of the words you use. So obviously because of their understanding and knowledge on these words, that they will they will be held at a higher um, regard in punishment if they were to discuss them or teach them incorrectly. And so anyone who is teaching the word should teach so in in humility and in love because uh, judgment will be harsher on those who are teaching and maybe misleading or uh, Uh, not doing it in the fruits of the Spirit. So that's what I got out of that one in in his um, in what he wrote Next is regarding the tongue specifically. Uh, He says here, it makes great words. It is like an eternal fire full of iniquity causes the whole body to sin in our walk. So our, our tongue can do this cause it can cause our whole body to sin in our walk. No man is able to bridle for it is evil, and is full of the poison of death. And this this phrase, no man is able to bridle. We, we're going to read later that there is a man that can bridle, and that is a righteous man. You know, a righteous person uh, can can do this. So here, obviously, the <laughs> the uh, the. Just man in general is not able to provide it is evil, but obviously, uh, what we speak, and comes from comes from within. You know the, the words that we speak, and we have to be careful in guarding that. Uh, and I put a, a few more verses here that relate to this to the tongue. We have Proverbs twelve eighteen rash speaking, is like piercings of a sword. But the tongue of the wise is healing. So it gives you two options here. The tongue of the wise is healing. But any rash speaking is like a sword. And I think everyone can obviously agree with this. Uh, Psalms 64.3 Who sharpened their tongue like a sword and aim their arrows a bitter word? So in this, in this psalm, it's talking about the tongue being like a sword and arrows. Uh, are are like a bitter word so it's always it's always referencing these the word the tongue etc as weapons these can be weapons and we have to be very careful on the words we use what we say and how we say them or they can destroy they can upset and really cause damage to especially to the brethren uh when we have uh any any of any, anything's being spoken ill of each other or about others and psalm 12 3 yahwah does cut off all flattering lips a tongue that speaks swelling words and if you dig deeper into the phrase of flatter flattering lips and flattery there is a lot being said in proverbs and psalms i could have went on and on and on but uh, even flattery is a, a great evil uh to to be doing so you know we may compliment one another but you you do not want to be doing flattery because then that that causes pride, and you're just more or less feeding someone the option or ability to be prideful in doing so and it tells us not to do this because it it is welling words uh, Proverbs fifteen twenty six. Evil thoughts are an abomination to Yahweh, but pleasant words are clean. So I wanted to bring the the positive side. Pleasant words are clean, and I just read um, the tongue of the wise is healing, and pleasant words are clean. And then we'll see and we'll see here next my next point in Proverbs sixteen twenty four about pleasant words. Pleasant words are like a honeycomb. Sweet to the being and healing to the bone. So keep in mind, we, we must use pleasant words with each other, about each other, um, what we're talking about, and stay away from, uh, you know, the rash speaking, bitter words, flattery, etc. And then there's a whole list more when you read Proverbs and Psalms and all that. And so I, I ended this slide with let Yahweh let Yahweh's instruction. Fall like rain, his speech drops down as dew, as the fine rain on the tender plants, and as showers on the grass. Deuteronomy thirty-two two, his instructions fall as rain. All right, and then I'll share another another slide here on the tongue, and this one here. Let me drop it. All right, so this one here. Goes further on the tongue, and on verse 2, James is saying, For we sin in many things, but he who does not sin in anything, he is a set apart man and able to bridle the whole body. That's self control. It's a fruit of the spirit. You know, the person who can bridle the whole body, not just the tongue, but the whole body. You know, this is this is the one. This is the the, the set apart person who has the self control, who has this fruit of the spirit. And as we just read in in prayers, that uh, man cannot bridle the tongue, and he's talking about man in general. But here we see the set apart is able to do so. So keep that in mind uh, that that we can do this, and it is something that is a blessing to others with. Using kind words and bridling ourselves, body and tongue. Uh, and, and verse three, and look, we lead the horses with a bridle to lead them according to our will. So he's giving an, an example here. You know, we lead horses with just a little bit, you know, the, the bit in their mouth. We can lead them wherever we want them to go, just by a bridle, a bit in their mouth. Okay? So So I put in here, can you bridle the tongue or let it direct you? So it's our choice. We can either just let it go or we take responsibility and we bridle ourselves in the words and actions we do. And then verse four, also the ships, although they are great, go by the force of the strong wind, although they are directed by a small rudder, which is in the hand of the angel, or here, I think they put messenger. Uh, so here we see uh, once again a small rudder is directing, just like our our tongue can direct and and lead and guide and, and put us in places and cause us to sin, etc. So I wanted to point those points out, and uh, I'm I'll stop with that and I'll pass it over to Michael and I'll come back to more on this chapter. But I'm going to start with tongue and let everyone. Uh, similar on that. Michael, over to you. Uh,
2: Shabbat shalom. Yep. Thank you. I'm going to split mine up as well. And uh, thanks for reading all. Um, And we will pray for you for healing and uh, great comments Rob as well. Um, All right. So James three, sure. We'll be talking about wisdom later, but I will split it up. Um, I'm going to read the Hebrew number one. So beloved brothers not every one of you must be an expert teacher and know that the punishment will be greater. Um, <clears throat> so expert teacher, you know, Rob kind of hit on it. You know, what defines an expert teacher? Um, does this mean anybody who teaches on certain topics like flat earth, mud flood, extra biblical books, Targum, Enoch, Jubilees? Um, I don't think so. You know, those are, <laughs> those are side topics. You know, my take would be that this is speaking on the law and those who teach the law... He's either for you or done away with, or just straight up disobedient. You know, those are the teachers their punishment will be greater. That's just my opinion. So but I wanted to point out, you know, the well known verse in the Torah community. Uh, Matthew five. So Matthew five seventeen it says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets I did not come to abolish, but to fulfil. For truly I say to you until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law. Until all is accomplished, whoever then annuls one of these least of these commandments, here's the key, and teaches others to do the same, shall be called least in the kingdom. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he should be called great in the kingdom. So, you know, the main point on this first verse is, this is just my opinion, you know, we're just giving our personal commentary that um, it's not so much the side topics, it's literally talking about the Torah, disobedience, or, you know, righteousness, so... They will be judged greater. Um, Second one, number two, read both. Uh, So in the Greek it says, For in many things we offend all, and if any man offend not in the word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Hebrew um, says, For we sin in many words, but he who does not sin in any word, he is a set-apart man, and able to bridle the whole body. So obvious differences. Um, Offend in the Greek is sin in sin in many words in the hebrew that's a huge difference you know offending you know can go many different ways where the hebrew just straight up says sin in many words um you know many people are offended today in the world right and there's no logical sense for a lot of that stuff um you know i also want to notate the greek says perfect man while the hebrew states set apart man again we've all been if you followed our john and revelation and these studies you know it's how to be set apart from the world right Uh, greek says perfect um so now for some word studies uh and we're going to talk about that word perfect so in the greek it's used twice elsewhere um matthew 5 again we're going to go back to matthew 5 a little bit later in the chapter starting at 46 it says for if you love those who love you what reward do you have do not even the tax collectors do the same if you greet only your brothers what more are you than what more are you doing than others do not even the gentiles do the same therefore you are to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect same word so it basically we're supposed to be like our heavenly father he's perfect right we all know that it's saying if you only love those who love you then that's not you're not acting like your heavenly father so in order to be quote unquote perfect or you know with yeshua's resurrection and his salvation you have to love you know love your enemies right yeshua says that as well so that's the first instance the second instance of perfect is rich rich young ruler and that's in matthew 19 it says the young man said to him all these things i've kept what am i still lacking yeshua said to him if you wish to be complete complete is the same word as perfect go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me but when the young man heard this statement he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property so again um you know before i summarize you know in my this is just my opinion it's he he read his heart he read his heart you know abraham had riches but was you know doing Torah you know, this guy you know he still had some things to get over he was the rich young ruler Yeshua knew that he told him what he needed to do and he didn't want to do it and in order to do it you have to give up those things that you're still holding on to to be complete so to summarize quote unquote to be the perfect man you need to love and greet others who don't love you and also as the rich young ruler who had everything sell your possessions and give to the poor so that was his biggest internal issues And if you want to be complete and perfected, you need to, you know, turn from those. Um, Second word study within this verse 2 is the word bridal. So bridal was in both, but we're going to study the Greek. Ironically, it's only used one other time in the New Testament, and that we read it last week. That was James 1. So um, I'll, I'll read. The James three first, I guess. Uh, For in many things we offend. If any man offend, not in the word, this same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. So in James one, the Greek said, If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. And in the Hebrew, in the Hebrew James one twenty six, it said, However, if one among you thinks by himself that he serves Yahweh, but does not keep his tongue with a bridle, but deceives his heart. This service of Yahweh is no good. If you recall, I said, you know, that's that was one of my huge differences last week. Was, you know, if you're not bridling your tongue, you seem to be religious. You, you, if any man among you seems to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, he's deceiving his own heart. Where in the Hebrew, it literally says that those, you know, they think they serve Yahweh, but they don't bridle their tongue. They're deceiving themselves. So how many people think they're serving him? with a bad tongue um to summarize you know james talks about bridling the tongue one part of the body where james 3 says you need to bridle your whole body <laughs> big difference there We're you know we're getting more advanced here as we go through james um last one before i hand it off to Nolan, and break it up number six i'm going to read both and the tongue is fire a word a world of iniquity so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. And in the Hebrew it says, So also the tongue is like an eternal fire, full of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members. And it causes the whole body to sin, and kindles us in our walk, if it is kindled from Gehenna. Um, One more word study for you guys. So defileth. Defileth. So it says, That it defileth the whole body. That word was also used in a recent study we did in Jude 1. Um, so Jude 1, 20, 2 it says, And have mercy on some who are doubting, save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by flesh. So that word polluteth is also defileth. It's the same word. So how I read this, and I could be way off, uh, James <clears throat> is saying the tongue can defileth the whole body while in Jude it's saying that we should pretty much hate this flesh suit um, and look forward to the resurrection Um, hope you enjoy that I'm splitting it up here I have a lot in the second part but enough to know
0: that was excellent both and I'm going to wait till you guys get through your commentary on chapter 3 because uh, my commentary tonight is going to kind of encompass both so chapter 3 and 4 so Rob back to you
1: Very good. Okay, I will, I'm going to talk about wisdom here, and I don't think I'll be stealing Michael's thunder because I didn't, I mean, I know we could go on for at least an hour on this topic alone, and I'm only just touching on what is being said in these verses without tons of comment. Tons of cross-references. So I'm going to drop here um, regarding wisdom. And I just want to point out what James is saying here on on wisdom. And uh, and what, what he's saying. I think it was in verses 13 um, through like 16 in that range. So here is... Regarding wisdom, what he's saying, and and remember, James is writing to the twelve tribes that are scattered into all the places. So this is for the brethren, uh, brothers and sisters, uh, that in faith and obedience. So he says, wisdom from above. So we got we got two different wisdoms being spoken here. We got wisdom from above and wisdom from earth. Wisdom from above is first pure. He kind of gives a a. It, it seems like a. Uh, a, a cycle, a process uh, in in wisdom. It's first pure, and afterwards shalom and rest. And I I, I believe that when you are given wisdom, uh, you you will walk and feel shalom and rest in what you do and the way you think and the way you speak uh, in regards to that. And having wisdom from above, you're able to reconcile, you're quick to listen, you're full of mercy, you know, for others, especially others, when you're listening, I mean, it's literally right after quick to listen and full of mercy and goodness, and not to partiality or flattery. So it's giving you an indicator of what is not wisdom from above, and that is not giving partiality. Or flattery, once again, we're talking about flattery of the tongue. We are not to do that. And we see here, the righteous fruits are sown in shalom by those who establish the shalom. So by those being in wisdom, establish the shalom. So the righteous fruits are, are sown in it. So once we have... Once we pray for wisdom, and we've read this in John, we've read, we've we read this over and over about uh, asking and praying for wisdom. Each of the Gospels, I think, and speak about this. And so, when you you get wisdom, these things will happen. The shalom and rest will be upon you. You're, you'll be able to reconcile. That's you know you you'll be able to have discernment. You're always quick to listen, and you're full of mercy with others. And what's being said, and other people's points of views, uh, and and you'll be full of goodness. Yeah, so I just wanted to point that out on the on wisdom from above, and and maybe Michael go more, more into it. But there's a whole lot more on wisdom, the the signs of wisdom, and the fruits of the spirit, etc. We've we've expounded on that, especially in John. Uh, so go back and look at uh, listen to the uh, study that we did on and on that. Now, wisdom from Earth, it says here, it's from man and from the satans, the adversaries, and it's plural. You know, it, it's it's many enemies out there that have their wisdom and their advice and their knowledge, et cetera, et cetera. And some of those indicators, obviously, we know if they're speaking in partiality or flattery, we know that it is not from above, uh, as spoken uh, as I just read and then here it says those who have jealousy and hatred in their hearts have many evil things in them so if you have jealousy or hatred that is in your heart i mean you've got evil things going on in your heart that you got to repent you got to purge, you got to let these things go and ask ask the father to reveal if you do do so or if you struggle with that those are things must be repented and, and so that you can turn away from those feelings and, that, and those thoughts uh, and purge the evil that is within, so that you may walk in shalom. And then secondly here it says, do not lie against the truth and do not boast. So some more indicators of wisdom of the earth. Uh, if anyone's talking to you or speaking and they're boasting, then you know, that wisdom even if it's true needs to be you need to uh, be very cautious of that is that person's heart uh it may not be in the right place obviously lying against the truth so i just wanted to share that on wisdom uh from what james is saying and quickly do an overview uh on regards to to that and I'll, I'll stop with that on my slides for chapter three uh after that is just more or less uh Commenting on a few things in here and there, but I'll let uh, I'll let Michael go next, and, and then after that, Noel. And if there's anything that anything else uh, I see that I can bring up, I will afterwards. So over to you,
2: Michael. Alrighty, um, I was hoping you went into more about wisdom. I did a little bit, but not nothing too crazy. Uh, number twelve. I'm going to start again. Let's see. I'm just going to read the Hebrew this time. It says, <clears throat> actually, I'm going to read the Greek. Forgive me. Um, can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine, figs, so can no fountain both yield salt, water, and fresh? And I want to talk about, um, the actual fig tree and what that is, you know, um, at least throughout the Bible, you know, um, you've heard about the fig tree generation. I know a lot of people talk about that. Um, so I found some cool things on that. So, um, the fig tree is actually the third tree mentioned in the Hebrew Bible. So... Everyone knows the first one, tree of life. Second one, tree of knowledge. Eve used the leaves of the fig tree to sow garments for themselves after they ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge in Genesis 2, when they realized they were naked. So that's kind of cool, right? That, that's the first tree outside of the garden <clears throat> is the fig tree. Um, in Deuteronomy, the promised land is described as a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, and a land of olive oil and honey, a land where you will eat food without scarcity you will lack nothing. That's in Deuteronomy. So fig trees are part of the promised land. Um, during Solomon's reign, Judah and Israel um, from Gant to Beersheba lived in safety, each man under his own vine and fig tree. That's First Kings, um, which was an indicator of wealth, national wealth and prosperity. So having the fig trees is considered wealth. Hosea nine, We've, a lot of us have heard this one because it's linking Israel. So when I found Israel, it was like a, it was like finding grapes in the desert. When I saw your ancestors, it was like seeing the early fruit on the fig tree. Um, Proverbs twenty seven eighteen likens tending a fig tree to looking one's master. And then finally, Yeshua in the Olivet discourse talks about that. So Matthew twenty four, Mark thirteen, Luke. I will read the Luke verse. Luke twenty one says, and he told them a parable look at the fig tree <clears throat> and all the trees as soon as they put forth leaves you see for yourself and know that summer is now near so you too when you see these things happening recognize that the kingdom of yah is near truly I say to you, this generation will not pass until all things take place heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away it, you know this is what everybody in eschatological circles talks about right it's the blooming of the fig tree um but i wanted more of a summary uh, because james talks about it uh number 15 read the hebrew or read both actually so the wisdom descendeth not from above but is earthly sensual devilish hebrew says for this is not wisdom that comes from above but from earth from the man and from the satans and i'm going to read it actually yeah maybe i will read it later but um this is describing you know the, the wisdom from this world. And, um, but I want to do a word study on the word sensual. So in the Greek it says, "But is earthly, sensual, devilish?" Um, <clears throat> most other translations actually say it's natural or a natural man." and I want to talk about that, the, the, you know, being a natural man. So First Corinthians two it says, "But if but a natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of Yah." interesting. Um, for they are foolishness to him and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised so the spirit of yah the natural man those who are walk in my opinion it means fleshly those who do not accept the things of the spirit of yah that, that's that's foolishness to him you hear you hear of these things when we talk about the set apart spirit we talk about wisdom if that if a person is thinks that's foolish that's a natural man they can't understand them this first corinthians is saying Uh, Jude 1.18, that they were saying to you, in the last time, there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, same as natural or sensual, devoid of the spirit. That's, That's a great summary, Jude. It says, in the last days, mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions worldly-minded or natural man, devoid of the spirit. We already talked about that, the spirit of Yah. Um, it's no coincidence that, you know, this is talking about wisdom. That there's no coincidence, you know, Solomon asked for wisdom. Um, and I'm going to be talking about more about that. So it kind of shows the difference between a natural man and a spiritual man. You know, a spiritual man would obey Yah's laws, where a natural man, you know, he thinks it's foolishness. He's the one who's causing divisions. He is devoid of the spirit. He will mock. But uh, the the spiritual man... That is one who obeys. All right, so wisdom, wisdom, wisdom. So I guess I'll read it all. Let's do that. I'll read uh, the Hebrew. So whosoever is wise and understanding among you, let him show me his good walk with wisdom. But if there be jealousy and hatred in your hearts, do not boast and do not lie against the truth. For this is not the wisdom that comes from above, but from the earth, from the man and from the Satan's. For in whosoever there is jealousy and hatred in him, there are many evil things, but the wisdom from above is first pure, firstly pure, and afterwards, shalom, I love that, and with rest, and is able to reconcile, and quick to listen, full of mercy, and lastly, it is goodness, and not to partiality or flattery. That's awesome. Um, does that sound familiar, though? You know, that sounds familiar. So Galatians 5, and we'll we'll use the Wyclef version, because it mentions 12, it says, But the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace patience, long suffering kindness goodness gentleness faith self-control modesty chastity against such there is no law to me that sounds very familiar to the wisdom from above um and this is that's called the fruit of the spirit right what i just read in galatians that's the fruits of the spirit um it's not saying fruits of the spirits it's the spirit with fruits and that's wisdom wisdom is only one with fruits so, Rock 116, it says, To fear the Lord is fullness of wisdom and fills men with her fruits. Proverbs eight nineteen My wisdom, my fruit is better than gold, yeah, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. So, you know, we can go on and on about <clears throat> wisdom. Um, Robin, like he, Rob said, we could talk for hours. But just as far as this point, I just want to point out that wisdom from above is is very similar if not exact to the fruits of the spirit and wisdom is the only spirit with fruits and our thesis is wisdom is the holy spirit wisdom is the set apart spirit but before i'm going to call an audible before i hand it off to noel i just want to you know talk about the description here you know so let's see but the wisdom of love is pure shalom rest able to reconcile quick to listen Full of mercy, goodness, not showing partiality. That's internal. Those are internal. That's a heart issue. Your heart is being circumcised. I can speak from experience that my fruits have been have been maturing the longer I've been in this walk. Um, it was not. It was pretty bad at the beginning. Uh, my internal fruits. <clears throat> Obviously, the works follow. But uh, that is wisdom. I will hand it off to Nona.
0: Excellent commentary, guys. That was good stuff. Are you guys ready to make the transition into the fourth chapter?
2: Yeah, but I think Rob had something else or not? Yeah,
1: no, I can. I can transition because uh, parts of what I'm
0: going to be talking about in four is also in three, so I can go into four next. So I'm I'm ready whenever you are. Well, the reason I'm doing this tonight is because I made the classic blunder, and I was saying to the group before I started that, uh, and, and Robin and Michael had, had kind of brought it up, but that, you know, I was just under the weather today. And it's been, this has been going on for weeks now. I'm over it. I'm sick and tired of it. And uh, I made a classic blunder. I actually did a, a study on chapter four, thinking it was chapter three. So. Uh, which is great because now I have chapter five studied out for next week, but we're not going to get to that this week. Uh, But the thing is, is that the commentary I have on four, it really plays into like three and four. Really, this whole book is just, it flows seamlessly. It's a, it's a, it's a a theme that develops and it gives you a fascinating picture. Uh, I believe that the book of Yaakov is, one of the most fascinating documents uh, an insiders look into what was happening in the first century. Not just the first century, though, specifically that generation, what I would call the fig tree generation, or specifically specifically the 40-year generation from Yehusha to the destruction of the temple. And this is what we see in chapter 4, verse 1. And why is there war among you? It is not because of your desires, which fight in your members. So there is a stunning comparison to be made between the wilderness generation and the Messiah generation. I never picked up onto this until I crossed over uh, and, you know, and started reading Torah and started wanting to be obedient to it. I'm like, Oh my goodness, these themes are so apparent that one is uh, the new Testament is a mirror reflection of the Torah wilderness generation. Both were defined by infighting and rebellion. So when when Yasharel rebelled against Moshe, the lawgiver, they were rebelling against Yahuwah, the lawmaker. Many people were destroyed. And as a result of their wars, their infighting, they wandered the wilderness for 40 years before entering the land. Now, what might have happened if the Yahudim had embraced Messiah rather than murder him? I suspect his kingdom might have been ushered in right then and there. Now I don't know that; that's speculation. But if they had, if they had, if they had um, welcomed Yahusha as their king and Messiah properly, I think he would have stuck around. I mean, obviously he wouldn't have been murdered, and the kingdom would have been brought in. But that didn't happen, did it? Contrarily, Yerushalayim was destroyed, and the Yahudim were removed from the land forty years later. Now, if you recall, the reason why the uh, the Israelites had to wander for 40 years is because they they went straight from Egypt across the Red Sea to Mount Sinai. And right there at Mount Sinai, he's like, I'm going to make you a nation of king and priest. I'm giving you my law. You're going to take two years to learn the law and build this tabernacle, at the end of which we can go in, into the land. They sent in the 12 spies, 40 days. Uh, they came back, gave an evil report. Two of them gave a good report. But they rebelled against Yahuwah. And as a result, they had to wander for 40 years. All right. We see the same thing happening after Yahushua's murdered this 40 years. And notice what is happening here. Yaakov is not addressing the unbelieving Yahudim. No, it appears he is writing a letter to those who claim to embrace Yahushua HaMashiach. So what are they worrying about then? I suspect the same thing, the law. And this is why I say I think this is a fascinating document into what was happening in that time period. Yaakov has already addressed the cause of the war in the first two chapters when repeatedly defining faith as an action. Faithfulness. Faith is not a belief. It shouldn't be confused with belief. Belief is separate from faithfulness. If you recall, I think it was in chapter two, he said that even the demons believe in uh, that Yahuwah is one. And they shudder. You can't claim to have faith without faithfulness. I mean, I I keep repeating this, but so does Yaakov. He said it several times. Just to really reiterate this point, he's writing to people who don't seem to agree with him on the matter. Demons are not faithful. All right. Many within the church, it seems, had something in common with demons. They believed, but they weren't faithful. The third chapter, as you guys just saw, deals with teachers those who shouldn't be teachers. And in this way, I think he's actually getting very specific with what what's going on here. There were teachers who were going about much like Korah and Korah's rebellion, who rebelled against Moshe, the lawgiver, and who ultimately was rebelling against the lawmaker as a result of that. Now, he doesn't specify these teachers and or teacher. And that that's that's important to note, too. The letter of Yehuda or Jude, we went through that uh, two or three weeks ago, seems to address the same issues. Rebellion in the camp, the camp, you know, Balaam and all that. So and of course, Yaakov and Yehuda were were unified in the Church of Jerusalem. So that seems to be a huge issue that there were a lot of people who claimed to be in their camp and they were in rebellion and they were trying to, um, you know, put the water out put the fire out. This this what I'm describing right here is clearly an issue which is rarely discussed and for good reason. There appears to have been a movement which sought to capsize Messiah by claiming salvation came through faith and not faithfulness among other issues like the Torah being suggestive fruit that com- comes later on perhaps even done away with. What sort of devastation might that do to the Yahudim if they're expected to do away with Torah in order to believe in him. I want you guys to think about that. Think about the, the the actual Yahudim, if they still exist. And and you have, you know, what is it? The Jews for Jesus and these Messianic Jews. The Jews for Jesus, all the ones I've encountered, all advocate that the law has been done away with. That it's not to be kept anymore. I haven't met any that that say that it, it it's still in place. Maybe there are some. But I can't I can't imagine anything that's more destructive to a Torah keeping uh, Jew who, you know, claims to be a child of Abraham. And they're like, wait, you want me to follow this Messiah that is done away with the law? Like, that's not the Messiah. That I mean just the amount of destruction that is, is so unfortunate. This is what I mean by capsizing Messiah, that there was clearly some people coming in and completely just destroy, trying to destroy everything that, you know, hence Balaam, the wizardry of Balaam. Imagine what Yaakov had to put up with as the leader of the Jerusalem church. If salvation comes through hearing and believing, then a person is saved first and is free to choose obedience later. However, if a person is saved as a result of being a faithful servant to the king, then salvation comes later or last. Indeed, these are warring words. And I, I, I believe this was a huge issue um, of what was going on at that time. So I will ask, who taught that salvation came through faith and that obedience should follow during the 40-year generation? And might this letter be prompted by that individual? Food for thought. I've I've uh, written much on that in the past. Going quickly here into Yaakov chapter 4, verses 2 through 3, he says, so you desire, but do not receive. And he who takes revenge and stays angry does not profit by it. And why all this? Because you do not pray. And when you do a prayer, it is not answered because you pray wrongly. Well, that's quite the claim, isn't it? Yaakov is telling these people that he's writing to that they're going about their prayers all wrong. Imagine if I were to tell you that you're praying wrong. I mean, I could just that wouldn't go over well, would it? What might you claim in response? And the thing is, what sort of inside information might Yaakov have to even know if they're praying wrong? How do he know that? Is he listening in to their dinner conversations? Is he, you know, peep, you know peeping into their prayer closets? How does he know they're praying wrong? That's quite the claim. Is he speaking of ind- individuals or entire congregations or, again, uh, leaders? I'm included to think the later uh, congregations. What might Yaakov use to justify such claim? Well, I found one. It comes from Proverbs 28, uh, chapter 28, verse 9. This is a, a popular one in Camp Torah. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, the Torah, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Therefore, I can make the same claim as Yaakov. If anyone is turning away his ear from hearing the Torah, then his prayer is an abomination. He's going about it all wrong. He's praying wrong. Yah won't listen to those prayers. We know Torah comes into play because of what Yaakov goes on to say. Follow along the next uh, following verse, verse 4. O adulterer and adulteress, do you not know that whosoever loves this world, he hates Yahuwah? So whoever wants to be a lover of this world, he himself will be a hater of Yahuwah. The people he's writing to claims um, to follow Messiah. At least that's the impression I'm under. But they love the world. Yaakov is seeing this. And again, how can he make the claim that they're loving the world? You know, how dare he judge them in this in this way? Well, another way to say this is that they have they have no desire to be set apart, to be in a covenant with the Most High. We are required to be set apart from the world, which is to be obedient to his commands, which would then designate those who are a part of the world, though claiming to be in a new in a covenant old, new, or otherwise to be adulterers and adulteresses. Loving the world means to hate Yahuwah. Yahusha told us the same thing. He said in Matthew 12, verse 30, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Since coming over to Camp Torah, I have met so many individuals who have claimed that they're not for Messiah, but not against him either. I have a problem with that. Technically, it's Messiah who has a problem with that, not me. Those who are just having an open inquiry, quote-unquote, are actually scattering the sheep. That's what they're doing. Whether they agree to Matthew 12, 30 or not, that's what it says. According to Yaakov, the same can be said of Yahuwah, the Most High Elohim. It's the flip of the coin. Many Christians claim to be for, quote-unquote, Jesus, but against the commands of Yahuwah. What that means is they're an enemy of the Most High. By dismissing his set-apart ways in favor of the world, they hate the Father. There's no ifs, ands, ands, buts about it. It's the sad reality. People everywhere are against either the Father or the Son, but they are both mutually inclusive with the other. It's the total package. I think I have uh, one more quick uh, verse to go over here before I hand it back over to Rob. Yaakov 4, verse 8. If you bring yourselves near to Yahuwah, he himself will draw near to you. So cleanse your hands, O sinners, and make your hearts pure. Again, Christianity, and I'll say it, Paulianity, claims that God will draw near to the person and save him, and then he is free to become pure. Or they will say he's actually pure because of Jesus, not by anything he's done. That's not, of course, what the Bible says, but it's it's a classic doctrine. And again, that is not what Yaakov is stating right here. Yes, Yahuwah will draw near to us if we first draw near to him. But how does one draw near to him exactly? As Yaakov has already stated, it's not by mere belief. You don't just believe in him and you draw close. It's by faithfulness. Forsaking this world and becoming set apart. I'll go over one more before handing it over. Yaakov... Chapter 4, verse 11. Beloved brothers, do not go about slandering among yourselves. Again, I think this is probably perhaps talking about top management. For whosoever goes about as a slander against his brother is a slander against the law. And if you do so, you do not establish the law. And there is only one who gives the law, who is able to punish and to forgive. But who are you to judge the others? So... Again, I'll, I'll go ahead and say this: the elephant in the room is that I highly suspect Yaakov was written as a response to Shaul's, Shaul's epistle to Galatians. I have a I have a whole paper I'm not going to go over tonight where I just cross-reference and I line up these verses with Galatians, and they they're they just they click it, like a glove. They fit. Like Shaul says one thing, Yaakov's response. They both quote from the same passages of scripture, but disagree with the outcome. My thought is that Ya'akov is correcting Shaul's belief system. Those who disagree with me will likely fall back upon second Kifa, where Shaul is said to be confusing and easily twistable. So be it. He's confusing, employing words that are easily manipulated uh, manipulated by millions, billions of people, and for a multitude of purposes. I in no way see Kifa as complementary to Shaul. The thing is, in studying Ya'akov and Yehuda, out as a potential responses to that letter, I was really taken back in the manner as to how they address this false and gangrenous doctrine. Whatever this doctrine is that Yaakov is addressing, and he's addressing real people. The epistle of, of, of Galatians, fact of the matter is, is filled with slander. That 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 cannot be denied. Whereas neither Yaakov or Yehuda slander in return. When I have brought up the the letter of Galatians to other um, the way he talks about other apostles in, in the letter in Galatians, others will respond with, well, haven't you ever been to a church elder meeting, Noel? They know, they know uh, that he actually slanders Yaakov in the letter. And he actually says things like, you know, they call them super apostles, and or I thought they were one time, and I wish they would lop off the whole thing and that kind of stuff. He's talking about Yaakov and Yehuda and uh, Kepha and the others. And notice the response. They don't treat him in the same way. Keep in mind, it was Shaul who physically pushed Yaakov off the steps of the temple in recognitions of Clement, leaving him for dead. I mean, think about this, guys. Yaakov, by the time he wrote this letter, according to the recognitions of Clement, he was tossed from the temple and left for dead. That probably crippled him in some regard. Maybe he was totally cured, but he was probably left for, with daily pain for the remainder of his days. Another amazing tactic being employed here by Yaakov is that he's constantly turning it back to Torah and the lawmaker. If the if there are if these others he's writing to are holding to the world and refusing to be set apart, then it's likely in the least that they have justified so as to um, as to why they're no longer keeping it. What Yaakov is doing is turning it back on the law and saying that they will be judged by it, just not by him and my point- and the point I think I kind of botched there was to say that he this has really taught me how to go about um you know treating some of the what we would call discrepancies in different letters on whether we should keep the law or not, is that I really want to take Yaakov's uh, example. Like he doesn't name names. He could have totally named names. Even if it's not shell if it's some other guy. Guy some guy named uh Bobby or you know Teddy Ruxpin or whatever. I mean just you know anybody. It could have been anybody. He didn't name names. Um and you, you see of course in shells letter he drops names everywhere. He just names people and how they're apostate and he'd to be tossed out. But he doesn't do that. And so that has what he is doing in this letter is teaching us he is addressing these points but teaching us in his own words and in his own method of how to address it so with that i'm going to hand it back over to rob
1: excellent i was wondering if you were going to go down that path and discuss those points so very interesting very good stuff. So I want to... I'm, just, I'm going to touch on two topics here. And on my next go-around, I'll, I'll touch on some more on Chapter 4. So I'll start with uh, the humility that James is talking about here. And I will drop that here for people to follow. And I do these slides with colors. If, if you haven't noticed yet, the colors... The colors are there for a purpose. It's just not I'm coloring every other word. (laughs) I have keywords that are highlighted so that it may be easier for those to follow along with what's what's being said. Okay, so uh, we see here James is talking when he mentions humility. Uh, More or less what I wanted to recap is, Yahweh gives much steadfast love. He exalts the humble ones and humiliates the proud ones. James is talking about this. So, once again, uh, he exalts the humble ones. So it is key for us to be humble, be walking in humility, and not proud, because he will humiliate the proud, especially in the day of judgment. And then he says, you must be humble before Yahweh and fight against the satans. They will flee away from you. So we see the Hebrew writing here in the way it's, it's, it's it's worded that obviously we must be humble, but we must fight against the the adversaries and they will flee against you, flee away from you, sorry. And so the fighting against the adversaries, the question is, well, what does that fighting mean? You know, and if you're going to take that literally, uh, it is uh, resisting. You know, you you have to resist the temptations. You have to, uh, because we can't, obviously, we can't fight physically against the adversaries. It's going to not be productive. Because many times, as we know, Yeshua is telling us to uh, walk in love. Etc. And when we have to fight, it must you know we fight in defense, but we're not there to fight against them. That's not our goal. To go out and do so. It's to when when we need defend, we defend ourselves. But fighting against the enemy is doing the fruits of the spirit uh, in that nature. So here it says, bring yourselves near to Yahweh, and He will draw near to you. So what James is doing is he he's giving you. Uh, a, 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 an outlook on what we need to do. At the beginning, we must draw ourselves near to Him. You know the humility, the the closeness, uh, and by doing so, He says here, "Cleanse your hands, O sinners, and make your hearts pure." So when we're get, when we're drawing ourselves close to Yah, we we must make our hearts pure. And we just read what is that? And and that's getting wisdom. We just read it in the last chapter three about getting wisdom. It it is key with making your heart pure. So we get we must get wisdom in chapter three, so we must pray for that. Draw ourselves close to him and and be living in and walking in wisdom. Bear your burdens and weep. Humble yourselves before Yahweh, he will hear you. So here's some more things that we must consider and we must do in our walk. We must, we must uh, bear burdens and weep with, with our brethren uh, in assisting and helping one another. Uh, if we are family, we are to do these things as if we are family. Uh, that is where the, the purity comes from in our hearts with love, peace, and joy, etc. And here he says, uh, Boast in pride, and it leads to evil. Once again, it talks about pride, boasting, both related to uh, uh, evil, going to uh, to doing evil things. One who knows to do good and does not do it, it is reckoned as sin. So we've read this before. You know, if we know it is not good to do, then we just shouldn't do it, because um, that, that we know better, and that is considered sin. So next, I uh, I wanted to talk about jealousy, and here in jealousy, uh, and then when I'm my second go around, I'll talk about the adulterers. But in in this part here, I want to talk about jealousy that that he mentions because here he starts with adulterers that love this world. So he defines it uh, that we know in the Torah. The, the adultery is serving and worshiping or believing in other idols. That's adultery from Arya. And so here he's talking to those who are not in obedience with Yah and loving Yah. He said, they love the world. So they hate him. And that's why he classifies them as adulterers. Uh, and it, and talks about his jealousy. So what I'm going to point out here on the, the terms jealousy that James is talking about, we need to look at the jealousy of a husband compared to the jealousy of, of Yahweh or Yahuwah. So I'm going to read some verses here, uh, but first I want to start with Numbers. and Numbers 5, 12. And this is the jealousy of the husband that is spoken about. I know we've read this one before here, and I want to quickly read through it for those who have not heard who have not heard this or need to brush up on this, but we see here in Numbers that there's a test for adultery. So we, we have here a a husband who has this jealousy. He has this, he has this feeling that his, his wife could be cheating on him. And so so this is what, what takes place. Uh, Numbers 5.12. Speak to the children of Yashorel and say to them, when a man's wife turns aside and has committed a trespass against him, a man has... And a man has intercourse with her, and it is hidden from the eyes of her husband, and it is concealed. So there's no witness. It's just, it's it's hidden, it's behind his back, and it's concealed. And she has defiled herself, and there was no witness against her, nor was she caught. And a spirit of jealousy comes upon him. So he, he has this, this, this feeling that something's not right, and she may be doing something. And he becomes jealous of his wife, who has defiled herself, of so the spirit of jealousy comes upon him, and... And he becomes jealous of his wife, although she has, uh, or a spirit of jealousy comes upon him, <laughs> sorry, and he has become jealous of his wife, although she has not defiled herself, then, so either either way, if he just feels jealous, thinking that he did, that she has, this is what is to happen. Then the man shall bring his wife to the priest, and they shall bring an offering for her, one tenth of an ephod of barley flour and he is not to pour oil on it or put frankincense on it but it is a grain offering of jealousy an offering for remembering bringing crookedness to the remembrance and the priest shall bear her ear and shall make her stand before Yahweh. and the priest shall take set apart water in the earthen vessel and take some of the dust that is on the floor of the dwelling place and put it into the water and the priest shall make the woman stand before Yahweh and shall uncover the woman's head and put the offering for remembrance in her hands which is the grain offering of jealousy, while the priest holds holds in his hand the bitter water that brings a curse. I find it interesting that she's un, her head is uncovered, and we know that when women are praying, they are to cover their heads. So this is very interesting. He's uncovering her head while doing this, so it's like bearing witness to her soul, basically, in this in this process. Um, and the priest shall make her swear and say to say to the one. If no man has lain with you, and if you have not turned aside to uncleanness under your husband's authority, be free from the bitter water that brings a curse. But if you have turned aside under your husband's authority, and if you have defiled yourself and some man other than your husband has lain with you, then the priest shall make the woman swear with the oath of the curse. And he, sh- and he shall say to the woman, Yahweh makes you a curse and an oath among your people when Yahweh makes your thigh waist away and your belly swell and this water that causes the curse shall go into your inward parts and make your belly belly swell and your thighs waste away and the woman shall say amen, amen and the priest shall write these curses in a book and shall wipe them off into the bitter water and shall make the woman drink the bitter water that brings the curse and the water that brings the curse shall enter into her and become bitter and the priest shall take the grain offering of jealousy from the woman's hand and shall wave the offering for Yahweh and bring it to the slaughter place. And the priest shall take the hand filled with the offering as its remembrance offering and burn it in the slaughter place after making woman drink the water. And when he has made the, her drink the water, and it shall be, if she has defiled herself and and has, has committed a trespass against her husband, that water that brings the curse shall enter her and become bitter. Her belly shall swell. Her thigh shall waste away, and the woman shall become a curse among her people. If the woman has not defiled herself and is clean, then she shall be clear and shall conceive children. This is the Torah of jealousy. When a wife turns aside under her husband's authority and defiles her, or when a spirit of jealousy comes upon a man and he becomes jealous of his wife, he shall make the woman stand before Yahweh and the priest uh, to do her all all his Torah. And the man shall be clear from his crookedness, but the woman bear her crookedness. So we see here that if the woman has done something, he shall bear a curse. And uh, we read uh, in another place on this that, uh, or more clarity is that uh, if she is pregnant from this other man, uh, she does have a miscarriage from this drinkingness and so forth, and it shows, you know, shows forth with with the swelling and all of that stuff. So. So we see that this test is is something that's mentioned when there is suspect of the jealousy, suspect of one uh, committing adultery, and we see that Yahweh has jealousy for his people, and so when one is found guilty of that jealousy, we see this curse that comes upon them. So there is a curse that comes upon the people who obviously are are many adultery with Yah and not not believing in him, but following other idols, etc. So they are cursed in their way. Uh, so I want to read Zechariah, Zechariah 14. So the angel who was speaking with me said to me, proclaim saying that this is what Yahweh of Armies says. I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. So we see Yah is extremely jealous for his people. Um, Song, of, Song of Solomon Put me like a seal over your heart Like a seal on your arm For love is as strong as death Jealousy is, a, is as severe as Sheol Its flames are flames of fire The flames of Yahweh So we see jealousy is, is severe as the grave As Sheol So it's a serious thing to be jealous and have jealousy, uh, Ecclesiastes four four, and I saw that all the toil and skill of the work bring envy between man and his neighbor. That too is futile and f- feeding on wind. So here it's tying in jealousy and envy uh, is is just <laughs> it is, is is futile. Is, is, is things that we should not be not be concerned about or not not. We should not be feeling unless it, unless it leads to suspect of something, and then obviously if it's if it's suspect, we need to dig that out and not dwell on that. Uh, Ezekiel twenty three twenty five, and I shall set my jealousy against you, and they shall deal heatedly with you. So this is once again Yah talking about his jealousy uh, against against uh, the people here. And talking about them being consumed by fire. And then Zephaniah 3 8. Therefore wait for me, declares Yahweh, until the day I rise up for plunder. For my judgment is to gather nations, to assemble rains, to pour out on them my rage and all, all my burning wrath. For by fire by the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. So we see Yah's jealousy from is wrath of this fire upon the earth and the jealousy is of what the peoples following other idols other gods etc and so this comes his burning wrath is literally the fire of his jealousy shall consume the earth so that's how we see the jealousy of yah tied in with adultery tied in with uh worshiping or following other gods besides him so i'm going to stop with that and i'll come back around next next turn around regarding adulterers, slanderers. I'll pass it over to
2: Michael. Alrighty, thank you. Um, Stuff on the jealousy part. Um, I didn't even think to go there. That was great. Um, I'm going to start on number three. Uh, Let's see. I'm going to read both. In the Greek it says, Ye ask and receive not, because you ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. And in the Hebrew, and when you do a prayer, it is not answered because you pray wrongly. And Noel did a great job, and he stole thunder. But I was assuming everybody was going to talk about this one. Um, but I wanted to highlight, you know, the, the pray wrongly part, right? How do you do that? Is it is it if you close your eyes, or is it if you bow your head? Um, what if you say the wrong thing? What if you call them by the wrong name? Does that mean praying wrongly? No, nah, I think I think we hit it. Um, You know, Dave and I think uh, Pamela were going to put the the verse in there and Noel said it as well. Proverbs 28, 9 again, whosoever turns his ear away from hearing the law, even his prayer is detestable or an abomination. Um, That's how you pray wrongly. (laughs) Um, And it reminds me of, you know, what we said in James 3 about the law, the teachers teaching the law. Not so much about other things, you know, that are, you know, not um, the different topics, but literally just the law um and that's, i think this is what this is talking about as well uh number four i'm going to read both so in the greek it says ye adulterers and adulteresses know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with yah Whoso, whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of god and in the hebrew it says oh adulterer and adulteresses do you not know that whosoever loves this world he hates yahweh so whosoever wants to be a lover of this world, he himself will be a hater of Yahweh. That's pretty brutal, in the uh, straight to the point in the Hebrew. So in the Hebrew, it says, hates Yahweh. Um, and says, instead of enmity with God, or hater of Yahweh, instead of enemy of God. It also, in the Hebrew, it says, lover of this world, where in the Greek, it says friend of the world. Um, so how would you define... First question of the night: How would you define loving the world? You know, we we are supposed to be set apart from the world. That's that's exact opposite. You know, that's oil and vinegar. You know, this is basically saying, if you love the world, you hate the Most High. That's pretty telling, and we should be checking ourselves to make sure <laughs> we are not a friend of the world or a lover of this world. Um, yeah, that should put some fear. Um, so back to the Greek, <clears throat> the word for enemy. So it says. If you're a friend of the world, is the enemy of God. So um, it's used two other verses, um, and I think it's pretty telling. So Romans 8, starting on 6, it says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile towards Yah, for it is not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please god so that word hostile is the same word as enemy of god so when your mind is on the flesh well first of all let's go when when your mindset is on the flesh there's death when your mindset is on the spirit there's life and peace so because the mind is set on the flesh you are hostile towards god or you hate yahweh as as in the hebrew um it's interesting because when your mind is set on the flesh it, it, Roman says it does not subject itself to the law of God. It's the exact opposite. You can't have walking in the flesh, walking in the spirit. It's totally opposite. Um, and it even says, "For is not able to do so, because you can't. You can't have both. It's either one or the other." And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We've already talked about that. The second verse about enemy, Luke twenty three. I thought this was very interesting. And Herod, with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, Yeshua, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been enemies with each other. That that the word enemies, is the same word. Um, now, if if you guys have been following me, you know I, I got to explain my word cities here. I'm not talking about the root word. I'm talking about how it's used in these particular verses so um if you go to the root of enemy i'm sure there's a million enemies in the new testament but the way it's used in james 4 4 is only found in these two verses so it kind of gives you more of an insight i believe at least i've found it some remarkable word studies doing it that way but um so to recap here so when your mind is set on the flesh it's an enemy of god also see i don't know how this would apply to us but me may, well maybe i can so also when herod and pilate they became friends after what they did to yeshua that's the same word in hostility of the most high it's pretty interesting so how would that relate to us we're not Herod, we're not Pilate, but maybe you know non-believers that are treating his children wrongly maybe that's how you're also hating the most high um you know i hope as set apart you know believers are trying to be that we won't do that to his own children right so we got to treat israel you know very kind um but i just thought that was interesting that herod and Pilate—they they they didn't even like each other before they did that to yeshua and they were enemies and they became friends that day um number five i'll read the hebrew it says or do you think that the Torah says in vain that the spirit which dwells inside you, it covets against the commandments of Yahweh? So in the Greek it says, do you th- do ye think that the scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? So it, you know, Greek says scripture, Torah, or the Hebrew says Torah. Um, you know, scripture, quote unquote, could be taken many ways, right? Yeah um there was no new testament when this was written so it was it pretty much was always talking about the torah right but it just you know <laughs> the greek wants nothing to do with the torah right so it has to come up with scripture where the hebrew literally just says it's the torah um and also it's you know the hebrew says covets against the commandments of yahweh so again greek lusteth to envy what is that <laughs> what is that uh i love the hebrew just goes straight to it, it says those who covet against the commandments of Yahweh. You can't get around that. So um, the Strong's word for covet in Hebrew is chamad, and I'm butchering that, I'm sure, but it has a definition to desire or take pleasure in. So basically what this is saying is those, let's see, I guess, how how would I spell it? Um, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth the envy. So the spirit that dwells inside of you, if you're against the Torah, takes pleasure in, being against or desiring against the commandments of yahweh that's pretty that that's very strong right anybody can just say oh i messed up it's it's basically saying they take pleasure in being disobedient that's pretty telling and scary <clears throat> um two more pen off the number seven i'll read both it says uh submit yourselves therefore to god resist the devil and he will flee from you and in the hebrew it says therefore you must be humble before Yahweh and fight against the Satan's they will flee from you so in the Hebrew it's stating that humility is submitting to the Father Um, in that yeah because in the Greek it just says submit yourself again what does that mean you know you can go many different ways submitting yourself humility is very plain you know cut and dry right you have to be humble before approaching Yahweh Um, it's also applying that Satan is attacked. They, they attack your pride when you get prideful boastful that's when satan attacks when you're humble you're submitting to yahweh you can't get touched i just want to say that and some examples of humility in the bible so now the man moses was very meek or humble above all the men that were on the face of the earth numbers 12 3. the patriarch adam protests to yah behold now i have taken upon me to speak unto the lord who I am but dust and ashes he's equating himself with dust and ashes and he's like who am i to be speaking to the lord very humble. Uh, when Saul was chosen as Israel's first king, he was discovered hit among the baggage in First Samuel. That's a phrase which became current among the Jews for the man who shuns the limelight. like he doesn't want to be on center stage. He hit among the baggage, when he was chosen as Israel's first king, humble. And finally, the the Hebrew king <coughs> was to write a copy of the law and read therein all the days of his life that his heart be not lifted above his brethren. It's amazing. He's the king. <coughs> the law states you're, in order to do this, your heart has to be not lifted above the brethren. Very humble. Um, finally, number eight, I'm going to read both. And no kind of hit on it. He linked it to Paul. I'm going to link it to the priesthood. So drawing nigh to God. So draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And the hebrew it says if you bring yourselves near to yahweh he himself will draw near to you so cleanse your hands O sinners and make your hearts pure so the hebrew says bring yourselves near while the greek says draw nigh to god i want to talk about like i said drawing near to god in the old testament or yah and how it primarily not all the time primarily relates to priests and what are we supposed to be we're supposed to be acting as priests so exodus 19. also let the priests who come near to the lord consecrate themselves or else the lord or yah will break out against them consecrate themselves so the priest come near to him they need to consecrate themselves or he'll break them apart um second leviticus 10 then moses said to aaron is what the lord spoke saying by those who come near me i will be treated as holy and before all the people i will be honored <coughs> so aaron therefore kept silent so moses says to aaron the Lord spoke to him, saying, By those who come near me. So come near, draw near to him, will be treated as holy. If you don't consecrate yourself, he's going to slap you out of there, right? So that's what priests should be doing. And finally, when priests don't do this, so Ezekiel 44, 13, it says, And they shall not come near me to serve as a priest to me, nor come near me to any of my holy things, to the things that are most holy. But they will bear their shame and their abominations which they have committed. So, you can't have shame or commit abominations and also come near to him. Priestly duties, guys. Priestly duties. That's that's the set apart behavior. That's we are if you want to be set apart, if you want to be a priest in the kingdom, you have to be different. You have to set yourself apart from the multitude and come near to him. I have a decent amount on the second part, but I'll have enough to know.
0: No, that was really good, and I think that you know what you're saying is absolutely true that and I've said this many times before that we are called to be priests in the kingdom. And so, um, that's how we should see ourselves. And you know, there's, there's a, that famous illustration, I think it was in the nineties or whatever. And it would show like a, um, am I making this up? No, I'm pretty sure. I remember this where it would show a, a, man, a like a teenage boy and a teenage girl together on the couch but, like, then they would, like, they would push in a, a picture of Jesus in between them. And, like, you're always supposed to, like, imagine that, like, <laughs> that he's there between you or whatever. But I, I don't much. Lost, you
1: know. Lost, you know, uh, bad connection or something.
2: with adam rob so you can take over okay all right i will uh, uh okay then i
1: will start with the next piece and i'm going to talk about uh when jane james here is talking about the adulterers and i'm going to dig a little bit deeper into some of the comments he's making here that is defining these adulterers the lovers of the world and uh what their actions are uh to piggyback on some of the stuff nolan michael has already said here so i i gotta make sure i got the right slide here um all right so i'm gonna start with talking about the slander that he mentions here and then just go from there because the slander uh is tied with the tongue as we just talked about in chapter 3. So I'm going to expound more on the the tongue and our words, our lips, uh, what we say. So here we see, uh, slander against your brother is a slander against the law. So this is James stating this, that uh, slandering against your brother is slandering against the Torah here. And if you do so, you do not perform the law. So you're not acting properly. You're not walking in obedience when you slander a a brother. So we must keep that in mind when we're uh, talking about any other um, uh, fellow believer, whether we agree with them, whether we do do not agree with them. We do not want to be talking negatively about them, uh, about what they say. We just need, we need to do it in love uh, because any slander is just going to go around. And you'll see what what James is saying here and some other verses regarding doing that. So point two, and there is only one who gives the law, who is able to punish and to forgive, but who are you to judge others? So we must be careful, and that's what he's talking about. You know the slandering. You know, are you judging someone and slandering them? We, we've got to be very careful on that. We should, not be, we should not be doing so. I mean, we've read before about judging your brother and so forth. There's a prop, proper process of doing that, and slander is not one of them. Uh, here, Proverbs 18.8, The words of a slanderer are like delicacies, and they go down into the inner parts of the heart. So we, we, we see this reference that slandering is like delicacies. Lots of people and everyone can attest to this. When you hear someone talking gossip or or bad, good, whatever it is about somebody, everybody's all interested and wanting to know it's like delicacies. It's you know the latest and greatest of what's what, what they just heard about this person or what they said, etc. Um, and that's that is something that we should not be doing. And Proverbs ten thirty one, the mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. So he's telling us here, the perverted tongue will be cut out. It's, it just won't be. He, he has he has, he doesn't have tolerance for that. Should not be slandering, putting people down, or talking bad about them, gossiping, etc. Uh, but we see here, the righteous flows with wisdom. Proverbs ten thirty one, the mouth of the righteous. Oh, I'm sorry. That's. Uh, oh, I got it in there twice. Sorry about that. Uh, Proverbs twenty one twenty three, one who guards his mouth and his tongue, guards his soul from troubles. So we must watch what we say. Watch the tongue. It's back to that piece of the, the bridling. You know, the the righteous one can be can bridle, and tame the tongue and the body. So here. Proverbs is telling us to guard if you guard in your soul, you must guard your mouth and your tongue. Proverbs 26, 28, a lying tongue hates those it crushes. And a flattering mouth works ruin. So here, now we're hearing about flattery again. So this is another part. Uh, lying, and we just talked about this in James 3: lying a tongue and a flattering mouth, it works ruin. It just destroys. Uh, once again, these are things that we sh- we we need to cautious caution ourselves because we all see it, we all hear it, and we all are around that. And when you have a brother or sister doing this, uh, you do need to point it out uh, to them when you can recognize it. And uh, for the slide, Psalms one one twenty two. Rescue my soul, Yahweh, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue. You know, in this prayer, he, he is praying. He, he does not. His soul he does not want lying lips or deceitful tongue so more warnings against um, the tongue slandering etc and so I will now drop another one here in regards to this to follow up and here is once again um, an example is you you guys remember in uh, numbers, It is Numbers chapter 12. We see here, I'll quickly recap here, is that Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moshe because of the Cushite woman whom he had taken, or he had taken Cushite woman. And they said, has Yahweh spoken only through Moshe? Has he not also spoken through us? And Yahweh Yahweh heard it. And the man Moshe was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. And suddenly Yahweh said to Moshe and Aaron and Miriam, You three come out of the tent of appointment. So the three came out, and Yahweh came down to the column of cloud and stood at the door of the tent and called Aaron and Miriam. And they both went forward, and he said, Hear now by word. If your prophet is of Yahweh, I make myself known to him in a vision, and I speak to him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moshe. He is trustworthy in all my house. I speak with him mouth to mouth and plainly, and not in riddles, and he sees the form of Yahweh. So why were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moshe? Because they were slandering him. And displeasure of Yahweh Yahweh burned against them, and he left. And the cloud turned away from above the tent, and look, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. All right? And Aaron turned and said, look, a leper. So we see here the judgment uh, of her slandering. You know, this slandering her brother Moshe, it, it was It was three things, jealousy, pride, and then slander from Miriam, who was a prophet, uh, who, who Yah was speaking to. And he had to correct her because jealousy came upon her and pride, and she slandered Moshe. So all of us, all of us are susceptible to this. And that's why it talks about Moshe being the most humble on the earth. At that time, and that's why, once again, it keeps talking about humility, and we must have that, so that we do not fall for jealousy, pride, and henceforth slander. So I'll read here in Proverbs six twelve, a troublemaker and a villain who goes out about with a corrupt mouth, who winks maliciously with his eye, signals with his feet and motions with his fingers, who plots evil with deceit in his heart. He always stirs up conflict. Therefore, disaster will overtake him in an instant. He will suddenly be destroyed without remedy. But here is a person with a corrupt mouth. Once again, he will be destroyed. Uh, Proverbs 6, 16 through 19. There are six things that Yahweh, Yahweh hates. Seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, and those are eyes that, you know, people that see themselves above others. You know, it's that pride. They are better than you. That's how they see themselves, haughty eyes. A lying tongue, here again, a lying tongue, you know, that corrupt mouth. Uh, Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, the feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness, another piece with the tongue, uh, who pours out lies. And a person who stirs up conflict in the community, you know, that's, that's, that's another part, you know, on discord and, you know, uh, talking about and so forth when you're talking about other people, we got to guard ourselves from, from doing so and doing so in humility and in love. So I wanted to dig deeper on the adulterer and what, what I see James talking about with the slandering pride. Uh, jealousy and tie it all in with some of the things in the in the Torah and Proverbs there so I hope that was uh, beneficial and helpful to those and I will pass it along and come back later with any further commentary over to Michael
2: alright um, <clears throat> hopefully I uh, Al can fix his uh, technical issues but I will finish off my James 4 so I'm going to start on number 11 says i'm gonna read both it says speak not evil of one another brethren he that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judges the law but if thou judge the law thou art not a doer of the law but a judge and it says, beloved brothers do not go about slandering among yourselves for whosoever goes about as a slanderer against his brother is a slanderer against the law if you do so you do not establish the law um, <clears throat> so there, there's been a theme I've noticed in all four chapters of John so far. I think um, each chapter mentions the tongue. That, you know, John or James is very. Did I say John? James is very. Um, <clears throat> he's making a point about the tongue, and I want to talk about. You know, some of you might know, but there's a there's a Hebrew term called lashon hara. I want to talk more about that. So, some of you <clears throat> may have heard about this, but generally speaking. It's a term for derogatory speech about a person which emotionally or financially damages them or lowers them in the estimation of others so lashon hara (coughs) differs from defamation in that lashon hurrah can consist of truthful speech as well as lies so sometimes the phrase is generally translated as evil speech so in midrashic literature for what it's worth you know take that for what it's worth lashon hurrah is regarded as equal to idol worship sexual immorality and murder you know, the sages even go further. <clears throat> they say, and I thought that this was very interesting, whether it's true or not, this uh, quote is very interesting. Lashan Hara is worse than murder. One who murders, murders but one. However, one who speaks lashan Hara kills three. The one who speaks it, the one who hears it, and the one whom it is spoken against. Like I said, whether, whether it's true or not, I, I, I like that saying, because we've seen it all throughout, James, that, you know, the tongue is such a defiler of our body. And it's so easy, easy to do. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, the last thing I have on is 16. So I'm going to read uh, both. It says, <coughs> But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. And the Hebrew says, But now you boast in your pride, and this leads to evil. So I want to talk about pride So, and Satan. So Wisdom of Solomon 2.23, it says, For Yah created us for incorruption and made us in the image of his own eternity. But through the devil's envy, death entered the world. And those who belong to his company experience it. (coughs) Envious. The devil was envious. Prideful. That's how death entered the world. And those who belong to his company experience it. Those who are doing what he's doing experience death. Uh, I thought that was pretty telling. And then, so Apocalypse of Moses or the Life of Adam and Eve talks about more so on this topic. So it details the first human's life after being cast out from Eden <coughs> until their deaths. In this work, Satan spoke to Adam and told him that when Yah created humanity in his image and likeness, Michael the Archangel beckoned him and all the other angels to worship humanity since they bore the very image and likeness of Yah. So Satan resisted worshiping Adam. He didn't want to worship him because Adam was inferior and younger than Satan in the creation order and ranking. If anything, Satan believed Adam should worship him since he had existed before man was created. As other angels heard Satan's reasoning, they joined him and refused to worship the image and likeness of Yah, represented in humanity. So. It's at this point that Satan said that he'd set his seat above the stars of heaven, and would be like Yah. That verbiage is very reminiscent of Isaiah, and I'll talk about that in a bit. At this point, Yah banished Satan and his followers, other rebellious angels from heaven, and they were cast to earth. So, whether you believe <coughs> Apocalypse of Moses or Life of Adam and Eve, Isaiah and I think is quoting from it. So, or vice versa. So Isaiah fourteen. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of Yah. I will sit and throne on the mount of the assembly. On the utmost heights of Mount Zaphon, I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is Isaiah. Uh, but you were brought down to the realm of the dead, <coughs> to the depths of the pit. So I thought that was pretty cool, that apocalypse of Moses and Isaiah, cross-reference there. And then, in conclusion, uh, Proverbs 11, 2. When pride comes, then comes grace. But with humility comes wisdom. And we know what wisdom is. Humility comes wisdom. Fearing God is the beginning of wisdom. I think that's a great way to end it for me on James 4. I'll hand it off to know if he's there. If not, Um, Rob, finish this off.
0: I'm still here. The question is, can you hear me?
2: Still nothing on your end. I see you're unmuted.
1: Yeah, I don't hear him either. All right, we'll continue then. All right, so uh, I think there was. there was, How much time we got? Okay, we got some time. I wanted to. Um, I'm going to share something extra here. I, I didn't think we'd get to it, but uh, it's just a bot, and I don't want to derail it Hold on. Regarding the tongue, um Let's see if I can find it uh, Yeah, right here. So I'm gonna quickly drop something and I'm gonna quickly go through this and skip it, but I just want people to think about this this year um, in Chapter three uh, Since we're doing both here. I just wanted to touch on this that when he was talking about the tongue you know, we're on this subject anyway, but in, uh, uh, when he was talking about how also the ships, point number three, although they were great, they go by the force of the strong wind, although they are directed by a small rudder, which is in the hand of the angel or messengers, as it's stated here in Hebrew. Well, it made me think, well, okay, is James using a reference to a ship that is directed by an angel so i I thought well you know we would take that as maybe a ufo or a spaceship so to speak so so as i looked into this uh the word um on i got here on the bottom malak uh malak for angel or messenger and then malak i don't i don't even know if I'm, i'm pronouncing it right malak it sounds the same to me but that's the word for sailor. And you can see it's almost the same, except uh, the aleph is in there. Uh, as you see in the bullet points in, on the bottom there. So when it's talking about a, a, a sailor and you add the aleph in between there, it's, it's, it changes it to angel. So I just thought that was interesting One on that. And we see uh, the word ship. So you have two words for ship. Uh, the first one is Oniyah. Oniyah ship is referencing, Leo like, to a terrestrial ship, you know, the ship that you board on and so forth and go sailing with. Um, there's many references in the talk to knock on that. And then you have Sef seth, Na, which is a ship, and it's more referenced, can be referenced, at least mo- in modern Hebrew, as a spaceship. And it's only referenced one time in Jonah one five, which is, I, I find very odd, in Jonah five, Jonah, Jonah Then the sailors became afraid, and every man cried out to his god, and they hurled the cargo, which was in the ship, which is the regular ship that they were on, into the sea to lighten it up for them. But Jonah had gone below, into the stern of the Sephinah, had, had laid down and fallen sound asleep. So it's just... Very odd that they use two different words for ship um, referencing this so it just it just made me think was there something more in in this this uh, chapter of Jonah that uh, we're not seeing so I just wanted to point that out as I dug into dug into that that it is just a very odd I couldn't I couldn't I couldn't come up with a conclusion but maybe someone else out there might see this and, and be able to dig deeper into it but I just wanted to bring that out. Uh, in regards to it, because, you know, when we're talking about uh, a small rudder directing your path, uh, we must consider that the tongue, our tongues can do so. It's one word, one word, one comment, especially anything negative. And then I guess you could even say the negative positive, which would be flattery. You know, you know so you're know, you saying something nice, but it's flattery, which is also something we shouldn't do. So. Consider that, you know, the, the harsh or negative things that we may say, and even nice things, even flattery, you know, we, we've got to check our hearts on why we're saying nice things, you know, and genuinely, because other people, uh, it, it can, it can, uh, give people pride and puff them up. So we must be careful on that too. So that was just something a little extra I wanted to throw in there. It makes, makes people think, but, uh, other than that, on chapter four, I think the um, uh, I think one of the main things, as Michael was saying on on, on these books of the, these writings of James, just it just goes on about the tongue and about controlling that self control, um, and he's talking to the brethren. We must have self control in what we say and what we do uh, in order for us to be blessed by Yah. And as Noel's saying, you know a lot of this is, is uh,
2: totally
1: makes sense. It's, it's talking and correcting about some of the things that Paul's, Paul was saying. So I, I, I wouldn't disagree. I don't think I could disagree with that, but um, bring clarity because as we read James, I think it's pretty clear on what we should be doing and outlining with, uh, with his message. So I'll pass it over to Michael to give anything else there further that he would like to say.
2: i don't much but i wanted to speak on um you know there's wisdom of this world there's wisdom from above spirit of this world spirit from above there's always as above so below you know the tongue can be used for good too uh you know sure like i said it depends on your heart but you know hebrews tells us to be encouraging our brethren you do that you know you, you speak life to people too so you know there's Tongue could be used for good. I I kind of wanted to say that as well. Yeah, edifying, not flattery. Sure. Yeah. So it's more so a hard issue, you know. And you know, y'all y'all can judge that. Um. Um. <clears throat> uh. Guess we can open it up. I don't know Noel <clears throat> uh, said he's going to drop off. He's not feeling well. But, yeah, can, um,
0: can you guys hear me? Um. I know
2: he's actually recording. So this might be end. What do you think, Rob?
0: You guys can't hear me. <laughs> yeah.
2: Uh-
1: his mic's off, but we're not hearing him, so he must be having mic issues. But uh, um, um, if he can hear us, then he can let us know. Yeah. Um, you guys still... Yeah, we can't hear you, Nolan. Not at all. I see your mic off and nothing. Yeah, that's really, really odd. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because I know when he was talking, there was a few times we were getting some, some feedback from him, but...
2: Hey, hey, no, try to leave and come back. Oh, wait, no, you're recording. Well, maybe try to leave and come back if you can. That works for me sometimes. Now we can end it here, and he can end the recording, and we can just open it up. He's typing. Right. Yeah, it's a problem since he's recording. Yeah, so um, any last words, Rob? You want to uh, do some prayer, and then we'll... Well, yeah, I'll end it with prayer, and then we can open it up.
1: Um, so, uh, yes, Father, we thank you for this time uh, and the gathering that we have, and speaking about your words, and continuously learning and discerning, and and dis- discipling one another. Father, we we I know I enjoy speaking, digging into your word, and. Uh, roundtabling this to get more perspectives and then opening it up to the group to get even more input and discuss the topics of what we are digging into here so that your words may uh, resonate with, within us and that we can and will walk in righteousness, walk in obedience with that humility as James is telling us here, that uh, the, the humility is key. And uh, the obedience and love to one, one, one another is what we must operate in. And with all of that, we, we, we should be, the purity comes from wisdom, that we should be asking for wisdom uh, for us to better understand and, and, well, not just better, but walk in understanding of his ways and acting them out appropriately and loving one another as we should so father we thank you for uh, this time uh, with with Michael and Noel uh, in sharing their inputs of your words and that you may be blessed and we're here to bless your name and if and if we uh, we're just we're just men we're just humans we are trying to discern your words and we we ask that you have uh, you have compassion over us that uh, we are doing our best and with our hearts to share the truth of your words so father may you bless each and everyone here listening and may we continue to take what we learn and share with others the love and the joy of you, your ways your torah and your son uh, we pray this in Yeshua's name Amén.